Welcome to the Kol Hadash Humanistic Congregation podcast. In this episode, we present Rabbi Adam Shalom from the morning of Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Shalom continues to explore human need with joy. I want us to consider the story of songwriter Yip Harburg. Born Isidore Hochberg to poor Russian Jewish immigrants in New York City, Yip Harburg was the youngest of four surviving children out of ten that were born. Raised Orthodox, Harburg's faith was shattered when his older brother Max, whom he idolized, died of cancer, and his mother died soon after. Yip decided that he was not going to synagogue anymore, and as he told the story, his father said, Well, Sonala, I don't blame you. I can understand but I'm an old man, I need insurance. Harburg added that the house of God never had much appeal for me, so I found a substitute temple, the theater. Harburg's business was destroyed in the crash of 1929, so he turned to writing songs like Brother Can You Spare a Dime, and eventually, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Who knew that Somewhere Over the Rainbow is really a song of immigrant hope for a new world? Who could have guessed that despite all of these difficulties, Harburg emerged with a wry sense of humor, a joie de vivre that could create verse like this. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And only God who makes the tree also makes the fools like me. But only fools like me, you see, can make a god who makes a tree. Which is more Jewish, joy or oi? We certainly seem to be a culture of oi. Watch out for the evil eye. Don't get too comfortable because they won't leave you alone. The world was a perfect place, a paradise, an Eden until we blew it. There's even a Jewish tradition of hating the census, because counting how many people you have or how successful you are is like looking a gift god in the mouth. Recall our Torah reading from last evening. You are not allowed to say, my might and my power have gotten me this wealth, when your god is who gives it to you. When King David in the Bible takes account of his kingdom, his god gives him a choice of three punishments for having dared to count. The punishments are a three-year famine, three months of losing in battle, or three days of a plague. Now, all of the punishments, of course, will make him adjust his numbers downward in the count. The modern state of Israel would have won its first gold medal long before 2004 if complaining were an Olympic sport. And the proverbial Jewish celebration is, you've seen the emails, they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. And on the high holidays, when we actually get most people to show up, what do we do? These are days of judgment, days to fear for your life, or you will not be written in the book of life for the coming year and you will die. Yom Kippur, our most important day of the year, says, do not eat. God might kill you for your sins at any minute. Best of all, 
Over and over again at our New Year's celebration, we tell the story of a man who tries to kill his own son because a voice tells him to. Now that's entertainment. No question, we Jews put the oi in joy. But that's not the whole story of Jews in joy. If Jewish humor is thought of as a wry take on a difficult life, choosing to laugh instead of to cry, there are also plenty of times that we laugh for laughter's sake. Those brides and grooms up on those chairs at weddings, the ones who aren't scared to death, they're laughing for joy. In fact, my wife and I wanted to put seatbelts on our chairs, but we couldn't arrange it. I know for a fact that the parents and the grandparents of many of those brides and grooms, well, those parents and grandparents were never up on chairs at their weddings because the chair ride at the wedding is a particular Hasidic tradition that happened to be in Fiddler on the Roof, and it's fun. So why not? The chair ride is a moment of pure celebration, an expression of Jewish joy. No barriers of language, no barrier of personal experience or level of Jewish practice or even being Jewish at all. Everyone there can fully celebrate with their whole being. When bar mitzvah boys or bar mitzvah girls are giving their speeches, those smiles that I can see on their parents' and grandparents' faces are real joy. What do we really need? Last night we found that a sense of purpose can make life worth living and can carry us through the difficult moments. And we are realists. We accept that life is not all peaches and cream, but we also know that there are times that life is truly good. Moments when we feel deep joy and we know that life without those times would not be life. Joy seems like a silly need, hardly a need at all, even a bit whiny. I want to be happy. But the joy we seek is not that of a child finding a prize at the bottom of a cereal box. Our joy is something more profound. In Fiddler on the Roof, the clinching argument to marry the first daughter is even a poor tailor is entitled to some happiness. We have a right to be happy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Jefferson meant much more than simple pleasures. The joy we seek is not simply laughing. At the end of the story of Tevye's second daughter, the one who moves to Siberia, Tevye says, you know what, Mr. Sholem Aleichem, let's talk about something happier. What's the news about the cholera epidemic in Odessa? You can laugh without joy. Our joy is not self-delusion either. Here is Yip Harburg again with Back to the Drawing Board. God made the world in six days flat. On the seventh, he said, I'll rest. So he let the thing into orbit swing to give it a dry run test. A billion years went by, then he took a look at the whirling blob. His spirits fell as he shrugged. Ah, well, it was only a six-day job. Some look at life and say, you have to be crazy to be happy. In Mark Twain's short story, The Mysterious Stranger, an angel describes many possible futures for a beloved priest, but the only one that leaves him happy is the one that makes him insane, imagining that he is the king of Persia. Twain writes, Sanity and happiness are an impossible combination. No sane man can be happy, for to him life is real, and he sees what a fearful thing it is. Only the mad can be happy, and not many of those. 
The few that imagine themselves kings or gods are happy. The rest are no happier than the sane. Or you can recall the story of the optimist and the pessimist. The optimist believes that this is the best of all worlds. And the pessimist sadly nods and says, yes, this is the best of all worlds. The world is not perfect, but we still find cause for celebration. Our deep joy carries us through grief when sadness is appropriate and healthy, through grief and on to life and love and laughter again. Our joy is not just contentment, a stable and plotting reality that leaves us okay. Joy is supposed to get us outside of our routine and the ordinary. Yehuda Amichai describes what he calls an ideal love. To start love like this, with a cannon shot like Ramadan, that's a religion. Or with the blowing of a ram's horn at the high holidays, to exercise sins, that's a religion. That's a love. That's joy. Joy is not the everyday. Frankly, someone who is relentlessly happy all the time should make you nervous. Our joy is not postdated beyond this world. Joy delayed to the next life is often joy denied in this one. This life is the only one we can know. Again, our sage Yip Harburg in Before and After. I cannot for the life of me recall at all at all the life I led before I tread this small terrestrial ball. Why then should I ponder on the mystery of my kind? Why bother with my great beyond without my great behind? The joy we seek is here and now, beyond the ordinary, realistic and optimistic and profoundly important. Now I have to confess, there is something odd about telling people to be happy. How can you make anyone feel happy? We certainly know how to make each other mad or sad, and maybe I can make you laugh with a funny story, but how to show you true joy? This is sometimes where traditional religion overreaches, commanding you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Imagine a divorce court working like that. You promise to love, I order you, be in love. We sing a song in our Sunday school. Oh, be joyful, oh, be jubilant, put your sorrows far away. Well, it's easy to sing, oh, be joyful, but it's not easy to do. and certainly not easy to do on command. So why sing this song? Why spend my time and your time talking about joy? Our goal is not instant gratification. I did not expect you to leave last night with a sense of purpose, just as I do not expect you to leave today joyful. I hope so, but no guarantees. Our goal is not results, but conditions, to create fertile soil in which you may plant the seeds that you must water and tend for yourself. Each seed grows differently in different soil and sun, so too will your joy be yours and not mine. We can learn from each other and from the human experience and from the Jewish experience, but they cannot live our lives, feel our joy for us. Consider the Hasidic movement in Judaism. After a full century in the late Middle Ages of devastating massacres and the crushing disappointment of a false messiah, two trends battled for the hearts and minds of East European Jews. One side focused on legalistic Talmud study and precise ritual performance. And the other believed that emotion and enthusiasm and love were more important than ritual precision. 
Law versus love. Who won? Well, the lovers, the Hasidim, won by such a wide margin that their opponents became known as simply the opponents, the Mitnagdim. Why did the lovers, the Hasidim, win? Which would you choose? Law or love? Lawyers don't answer that. The lovers, the Hasidim, won by such a wide margin that I said it twice. The Hasidim won because they dignified emotion, which everyone has. There's a famous Hasidic story of an uneducated man who did not know the high holiday prayers, who could only recite the first ten letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But the power of his emotion was so strong that his recited letters were more valued than the prayers of the greatest rabbi of his age. It's not an accident that new Jewish communities who want to draw on the joy and enthusiasm of this world sometimes call themselves neo-Hasidism. They are gender egalitarian, part of the modern world, but deeply dedicated to finding joy in their Judaism. We don't dance much at Kol Hadash, but maybe we should. Remember that new tradition of lifting brides and grooms on chairs? Another modern staple of the Jewish wedding is the Hora, which goes on and on and on, usually while they're clearing the salad plates, so it does have a purpose. But sometimes the Hora goes on and on for so long that I hold my head in my hands and I say, the Hora, the Hora. <laughs> Now, the purist in me gets annoyed because nobody knows the right steps and nobody knows what pattern to follow and most people are just running and bouncing in a big circle. But who wants to hear my lecture? Who made me the Grinch who stole the horror? Better that we should learn from the horror, teach our children how to do the horror, bring more of the horror into our Jewish lives, more horror, less harangue. Remember that old song, Accentuate the Positive? It's all too easy to be the cynic, the critic, the naysayer, the nattering nabob of negativism. Life is too short to look for reasons to be upset. They're always there if we need them. Far better to take advantage of the opportunities we have to gather rosebuds while we may. Our sage Yip Harburg. Where and when are lost in space there and then do not embrace. So before we disappear, come sweet now and kiss the here. Just as with purpose, there is no one path to joy, but you can know it when you find it. Our brain has an amazing facility for instant memory. In this room, we could find vivid memories of the moment that you heard that Franklin Roosevelt had died or that John F. Kennedy had been shot or that fateful morning in September of 2001. But we don't only have these snapshot memories for trauma. We also remember our deep joys. Wedding couples sometimes ask my opinion on whether they should see each other before the ceremony. On one hand, there's the charm of seeing the bride at the end of the aisle. On the other, there's the practical benefit of getting the pictures done beforehand. And so I tell them two things. The first is that the groom is not going to notice your shoes anyways. So don't get caught up on that. 
And the second is to share with him my experience. My wife and I saw each other before the ceremony. We took all of our pictures. I had that moment of seeing her in the dress first, which was nice. But the moment she showed up at the end of the aisle, walking down to marry me, that moment is burned in my brain, and it doesn't matter that I saw her before. You still have that moment. Each of you has had moments like that. And sharing them with each other is a way of bringing back that feeling all over again. Share one of those moments of pure joy with each other. I promise you it's contagious. A few years ago, I talked about the innate human capacity for sympathy. When one person is on the verge of tears, in an instant you feel the same way. But the human smile often works the same way. In other animals, showing teeth is a sign of aggression or fear. But in humanity, across all cultures, people smile when they feel joy. We are born knowing how to cry, and we do it right away, and we do it a lot. We might think that our children learn to smile from seeing us smile at them, but the truth is that we are also born knowing how to smile. Babies who are blind from birth smile when they are happy. It's when the baby experiences us and smiles that there's communication. They find joy in finding us, just as we are overjoyed at their joy. Joy is a basic human need, one that Jewish culture has met and one that humanistic Judaism must meet as well. The ordinary, the everyday, is like a black and white outline, a pencil sketch of what happened to us. What joy brings to our life is vibrant color, Imagine that scene in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy has gone over the rainbow, when she opens that black and white door to a world of color. What that first audience in 1939 must have thought. Or recently, in an attic in Boston, color home movies of the early days of the State of Israel were discovered. And people have been amazed to see Chaim Weizmann and Golda Meir and David Ben-Gurion and even babies born in displaced persons camps on the island of Cyprus in 1947, all of them in color. One person commented, I was one of those children, but I always imagined myself in black and white. Color makes it real. Color makes it live, and truly living brings color to life. You know the story about how many words the Inuit have for snow? it turns out that there are plenty of Jewish words for joy. In the seven blessings for a Jewish wedding, we hear word after word for Jewish joy. Gila, Rina, Ditsa, Chevda, Simcha, Sason. Simcha and Sason we already know from our song Od Yishama, which comes from the seven blessings. Kol Sason Kol Simcha, the voice of joy and the voice of happiness. But you already know Gila and Rina as well. Hava Nagila, let us rejoice. Hava Niranana, let us be joyful. On Yom Kippur, we will hear another one of our songs, Sisu et Yerushalayim, Giluva, Sisu, from Sason, Gilu, from Gila. Jewish joy is everywhere. Jewish joy is not an oddity. Jewish joy is not an oxymoron. It is oxygen. Jewish joy and joy in humanity brings new life to the world on wedding days and every day. 
who cares if Hava Nagila is not ancient and traditional? Hava Nagila was actually written in 1918 by a Jewish musicologist. But does that make our singing of Hava Nagila less joyful? Who cares if my great-great-grandfather was a misnagdim, an opponent of Hasidism, and would not have been caught dead upon a chair at his wedding? Who cares about the cares of life when joy is what makes them fade in the background? The biblical Ecclesiastes wrote, There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Or as Yip Harburg updated it, in Simple Answers to Cosmic Mysteries. To the puzzle of space and spheres, cheers. To the riddle of life's dim goal, skull. To the wherefore of cosmic ray, sante. To the reaper and all his brood, salud. To the heaven or hell above ya, nazdarovya. To the transience of human beauty, salute. To the folly of man's grim tale, Wasail, to the furious fates that defy him, Lechayim. Shana Tova, a happy and healthy new year. This podcast was recorded and produced by Ken Burke on behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Hadash in conjunction with Repatriation Studios. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.